0: You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ashlyn. Good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, we are so glad to see so many of you here tonight. I see some new faces as well. We are honored that you've chosen to join us this evening. We pray that uh, this Worship gathering is an encouragement to you. I'd love to meet you, as well as uh, as I can here. Maybe after church, would love to connect with you. I want to uh, just one just say real quickly one thing. Um, last Sunday, uh, many of you were here for our family meeting, and uh, it was a great time together for us to sort of pivot and think about the future as we consider what the Lord might have for us as we move. Uh, forward. There is um, a lot to still consider and things that we need to uh, pray about and work on, but, but I'm really excited about where we are headed. And the future is bright. Someone said that last week. The future is bright, and we need you to be a part of that bright future. So we look forward to continuing this fall, hanging out together, regathering in meaningful ways and in various contexts. And we just want to covet your presence and your prayers uh, in the days ahead. So thank you for your participation in that last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it is online, and if you're a partner with us, it'd be particularly helpful probably for you to, uh, to listen through that. Well, the summer before my freshman year in college, back in the dark ages, um, I got a call. And this call was from a childhood friend of mine who, uh, her dad was my pastor growing up and we were good buddies growing up and, and but he had taken another pastorate in uh, the St. Louis metropolitan area and we had sort of lost touch with one another. She was a couple years older than me. She had went to college in Nashville and just naturally some, just some distance there. She called me up, she said, hey, I'm, I'm in town and, um, and I've gotta meet with you and talk to you about something, can we meet? at the Steak and Shake in Ellisville, Missouri, which is a little suburb right outside of St. Louis. I said, yeah, let's do it, that sounds great. So I meet up with her at this Steak and Shake uh, in Ellisville, Missouri, and uh, she has her Bible with her. And uh, she's a believer, and and so that wasn't necessarily a new thing, but she had it open to the Book of Romans. She said, this was her first statement to me. First, I guess she did say, hey, Brad. But then she said, Brad, Have you ever read Romans 9? And it was a weird question because I had to think for a second, I I actually don't know if I've read Romans 9. I'm sure growing up, I grew up in the church, I'm sure I heard it read. I'm sure maybe even I heard it preached. But I had to be really honest with her in the moment. I, I had to say, man, I don't know if I've ever read Romans 9. And so she said, well, let me read Romans 9 for you. And so she proceeded to read Romans 9 verse 1 to the end of the chapter for me and after she was done reading that chapter she just kind of looked at me and she said, what do you think? And I said, I don't think I've ever heard Romans 9 ever read out loud. And I got to be honest with you, I'm not sure I've heard some of the theological or or doctrinal things that are in Romans 9 ever before. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, neither have I. We're, she said, I'm in a ministry in, in, in Nashville and we've been, we've been reading through Romans and she said, it's just blowing my mind. She said, honestly, it's giving me a little mini crisis of faith because there's some stuff in this book that um, is kind of messing with me, but in a good way. And she said, will you do something for me? And I said, sure, of course. She said, will you commit to read through the book of Romans for me and then call me and tell me what you think. I said sure. So uh, this is the summer before my freshman year of college, I began to read through the book of Romans to the best of my knowledge for the first time ever. And this is not meant at all to be a sensational statement, this is not at all meant to be dramatic at all, but I can say with all integrity to you, reading the book of Romans the summer before my freshman year of college, changed my life. That stake and shake encounter with my friend Tiffany, her courage to say, have you ever read Romans 9, is what she asked me. And then to say, hey, will you read the whole book and tell me what you think, was a catalyst for me, unbeknownst to me, that would change the trajectory of my own personal spiritual life. The great reformer Martin Luther once said about the book of Romans this, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. Here's what's amazing about that statement. Uh, a young uh, Martin Luther, <clears throat> before he became a Christian, was a professor at a Roman Catholic University in Wittenberg, uh, Germany. And during this time at this university, he was absolutely wrecked with personal guilt about his sin. And he would read the Bible, read something like Romans one seventeen, and he would think, uh, I, the righteousness of, of God, I have no access to that. There's no way for me to have access to that. I have nothing in myself to offer to God to get that righteousness. And he felt absolutely hopeless. He was doing everything that the Roman Catholic Church was telling him to do, but he had no peace. And it's a much longer story if you know the story of Martin Luther, but one day, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, he finally understood what Paul was trying to teach him in Romans 1 17 about the righteousness of God and he describes it as this sort of gateway opening up to heaven and, and he began to experience in his own life this purest gospel that he spoke of just a while ago. If I'm honest, uh, the reason why we have not preached from the book of Romans in our history, we've been around about 10 years, is because of my deep respect for this this book. And while I still don't feel worthy or adequate to preach this book, as we are in our 10th anniversary year, I feel, we feel as our leaders here at Mercy, like it's time for us to walk together through this book in many ways because this book exemplifies who we are as a church. It captures the theology, much of the theology, much of the doctrine that, that I would say has helped us understand ourselves here at Mercy View. I've heard this book described as a mountain range And you come across different mountain ranges within the book. Some have said that Romans 8 is the Mount Everest of the entire Bible. And so what we want to invite you into, and by the way, this is going to take a bit. Romans uh, is not a quick book for us to get through. and We're not going to rush through it, but um, it's it's likely going to be a multi-year journey. But we want you to get your spiritual hiking boots on your backpack, spiritual backpack on, and tonight begin with us this journey through what is a majestic book, the book of Romans. It's really Paul's theological magnum opus. It's his theological treatise. And uh, what we're gonna do first in this book is walk through the first eight chapters, Romans through eight in the series, that we are calling Reign of Grace. And then we'll follow that up by looking at Romans 9 through 16 in a subsequent, uh, subsequent series uh, called Anthem of Grace. And the reason why we're really doing two series within the book of Romans is because that is really how Romans is split up. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment a little bit more. But as we enter into this series tonight, I want to invite you to see three things with me. First is this. The theme of Romans is God's righteousness coming through the gospel by faith. God's righteousness coming through the gospel by faith. Second, I want you to see that the context for Romans is the righteousness of God transforms a diverse group of people through the gospel by faith. And then lastly, the writer of Romans, his identity and message is centered on that righteousness of God through the gospel by faith. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you heard Ashlyn read all we're really looking at tonight, Romans 1, 1. And if you were to read through actually the entire book of Romans in one sitting, it is likely that you would notice there is a word that pops up a lot. And we just said it. It's the word righteousness actually is used 41 times in 37 verses in the book of, of Romans. What is righteousness? Well, if you look it up in a dictionary, it, it just means to be holy, right? Or, or moral or upright. But in the Bible, and in Romans in particular, the term righteousness is used for both God himself to describe who God is. He is righteous or he dispenses Righteousness. And it's used for those who are in right relationship with that righteous God. We also can be righteous or receive the righteousness of God. In fact, in Romans, what we're going to see is this theme pop up a lot. You and I are made or declared righteous by God. And the means by which we are declared righteous is revealed and received through God the gospel. The message that Jesus came into the world. He died and was resurrected in order to make unrighteous sinners righteous. We see this message, God's righteousness, his gospel, this sort of faith-based righteousness in what is considered the thesis of Romans in verses 16 and 17. If you want to, you can look down there. I'm going to read it for us. But in a few weeks, uh, Pastor John Maston is going to preach on these verses, and you'll want to be here for that. But let's look at that real quick. This is considered the thesis of the entire book, Romans 1, beginning in verse 16. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what does that say? It says that the gospel is the power of God for something, right? For salvation, for those who would believe. And in it, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed. What does that mean? Again, Paul says that his message, his gospel is powerful, it's strong, it's mighty to save. It's the power of God unto salvation. And this salvation, he says, is through faith, the power of the gospel to save, penetrates our souls when we place our faith in Jesus. And then in verse 17, Paul says, while the gospel has this power, for in that power, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. See, what Paul is saying here is that the gospel is has the power to save those who trust it because it reveals the righteousness of God as a gift to us through faith. It's what theologians call justification. You're going to hear that word uh, in this book, and we'll be talking about that a lot. But here's the first thing that I really want to invite you to see this evening. The theme of Romans is God's righteousness coming through the gospel by faith. And something I want to note here, the flow of Romans follows the classic line of reasoning that you see reflected in a lot of Paul's writings, a lot of his letters, moving from the doctrinal or the theological to the practical. And the book of Romans is no exception. It's not just a theological book or a doctrinal book. A lot of people maybe think that. But it shows us both the beauty of the theology of righteousness, but friends, it also is going to show us, Romans 9 through 16, the practice of righteousness. And in our series, Reign of Grace, we are looking at the first eight chapters of Romans together. So we are, in this first series, considering the doctrine or the theology of Romans And then we will immediately follow up this series, Reign of Grace, by looking at Romans 9 through 16 in another series called Anthem of Grace, where we'll look at how the gospel of God becomes the anthem of our life. It's something that we begin to live out because we've been so impacted by the gospel of God in our own lives. Now, second, let's look at the background of of Romans real quickly. Unlike some of the books of the Bible, and there's not a ton of these where you don't necessarily know who the author is. The issue of authorship of the book of Romans is not very complicated. The first verse clearly recognizes that the apostle Paul is the author. In Romans 16, we're going to see that there's a man named uh, Tertius who says that he wrote the letter, but don't be distracted by that. It doesn't mean that he he was the one who um, wrote the the actual like the theology, the doctrine, the practice of righteousness in the book of Romans, it just simply means that he was Paul's scribe or secretary. He physically wrote down what Paul was verbalizing to him, which was a common practice uh, in this time. Now, for those of you that are new to Christianity or maybe new to the Bible, um, I thought it might be helpful for you to hear this Paul, the Apostle Paul, is considered the greatest apologist. And missionary that the early church had ever seen. I mean, of course, after Jesus, right? He was a highly educated Jewish teacher who persecuted the early church until he had a dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. We see that story in Acts 9. And after his conversion, Paul led a considerable effort to begin to reach non-Jewish people, the Bible calls them Gentiles, planted a number of churches. He faced staggering persecution. And he embarked on three different missionary journeys in what are known today as Turkey and Greece. Now, again, we're going to see, we'll talk more about this next week. But if you look down at verse 7, you'll see that it says that this letter was addressed to all those who are in Rome. And that's a really helpful uh, reminder for us as we think about the context that Romans was written in. And four, Romans was not addressed to one specific church. Paul many times wrote letters to specific churches, but Romans itself was not addressed to one church. But it seems to have been written to a few different churches. Most um, commentators believe there were four churches in Rome at this time that Paul was writing to. In fact, if you look at verse 13 there, it seems that Paul never actually visited the city of Rome, though he had a very strong desire to do that and even attempted to multiple times. We're actually not sure how many churches in Rome um, he helped start or was, was, was influential in starting. But what we do know is that these churches in Rome had a unique kind of dynamic in them. Uh, And it may have been the result of Jews who were converted at Pentecost, and they returned back to Rome, and maybe some other converts took the message of the gospel there. There could have been a, a variety of things that happened, but the one thing that we need to remember is this, unlike any of the other churches that Paul helped plant, the church in Rome was not directly connected to Paul in that kind of way. And this will become important as we look at the reason why Paul wrote the book of Romans. Paul likely wrote the book of Romans from the city of Corinth between 54 to 58 AD. And after Paul had completed his third missionary journey is when he wrote this this book. And this was um, important to to just kind of get our heads wrapped around what point in Paul's life did he write this. So this letter is sent to a, a series of churches made up of both Gentiles and Jews who have no personal connection to Paul, but are strategically located in a place to reach other people, unreached people for the gospel. So what does Paul do to bring unity to a church that he hasn't helped plant, he hasn't visited himself, to help them get a sense of mission and unity as a church? What does he do? What are we going to see in the book of Romans? Don't miss this. He preaches the gospel to them. Yes, he preaches the gospel to Christians. And we are going to see as we study the book of Romans the deep rich doctrine found in this book and its focus on righteousness is not meant to just be a theological exercise. It's not meant to just be an intellectual exercise. Friends, listen, a right understanding of the gospel will affect our relationships and our sense of mission. That is Paul's aim in the book of Romans. If we miss that, we've missed the whole point of the book of Romans. So here's the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. The context for Romans is the righteousness of God transforming a diverse group of people through the gospel by faith. I know that's a long sentence, but that's that's the context that Paul is writing the book of Romans in, and it's also the context, friends, should be no mystery that you and I find ourselves in today. Now we've already touched on a number of important themes, but I think it's important to see the way that Paul starts this book and how the gospel is defined as we get started in our series. And in just one verse, I see three things that Paul does, he, or excuse me, two things that he does. He talks about his identity and he talks about his message. So first, his identity. The first verse of Romans includes Paul's name and, th- and three titles by which he identifies himself, All right, So if we're wanting to understand how Paul thinks of himself, let's look at how he describes himself. And first he says, I am a servant of Jesus. Paul considered listing that first because he wants to make a statement that his authority and his identity is a byproduct of something else outside of himself it's his relationship with Jesus. He's a servant to Jesus, right? Second, he says I'm an apostle. I'm called to be an apostle. Paul was miraculously and sovereignly called by God to actually be a big A apostle for the early church. And then third, he says he's set apart for what? For the gospel. In Galatians 1:15, Paul says that he was separated from birth for God, for this very purpose. God had a plan for Paul's life and he needed the Romans in this book, he's writing to them to know this because they had no prior relationship with them. So where ultimately does Paul's identity come from? Paul's identity came from the gospel. His ability to say these things about himself, because this is by the way what righteousness through the gospel does, His ability to say these things about himself is only possible by someone who has both understood and been impacted and experienced in an ongoing manner the gospel of God in his life. It humbles the exalted. It exalts the humble. It shows us who we really are. The gospel does. And it also shows us who we can be in Jesus. Yes, the gospel exposes our sin And in that it humbles us, but it also cleanses us and it changes us and sets us in a new direction. And when you begin to understand that, the the gospel, and it becomes the center of everything in your life, it will change your life. It will become who you are. Your identity is no longer found in other things, but found in Jesus. But Paul also says, I have a message that I want to share in Romans Paul's last description of himself includes the very first use of the word gospel in the book of Romans. The term means, the the word gospel means, good news, right? And it is the message that God offers righteousness to those who believe in him. And we're going to look at this a little bit uh, more next week in verses 3 and 4. Paul expands on what he means by the gospel, but here we can simply say that Paul says that he has been set apart for something, for the gospel of God. In other words, the message of Paul in Romans and everywhere, honestly, in the New Testament, is the gospel of God. And what is amazing to me, it'd be one thing for Paul to say, you know, the gospel is the most important thing to me. It's what creates my identity and it's my message and then Paul could go on to explain it really poorly, he wouldn't have served us really well. But Paul, listen, masterfully presents a compelling argument for the gospel in the book of Romans based upon his understanding of things that he's walked through in his own life, his understanding of the Jewish tradition. We're gonna see him talk about the law in the book of Romans. That all comes from his background in that world. But also his, he was so savvy and able to, to, to be a, 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 a men of Issachar, as it says in the Old Testament, to read the times and understand how to read culture and be able to speak into it. Paul loved the gospel and his letters present his argument for the Christian faith in a masterful way. So this is am- it's amazing that we have not only someone who would say, man, my identity is founded in the gospel, my message of the gospel, but he is a master at presenting the actual content of the Gospel in a way that impacts us. Now here's the third thing that I want to invite you to see this evening, the writer of Romans, his identity and message is centered on how the righteousness of God is experienced through the Gospel by faith. When you understand the Gospel, this is what Paul is going to try to do for us in this book. When you understand the gospel, it changes how you view yourself. It changes how you view your relationships. It changes how you view your work. Uh, it changes how you, you view your family, your marriage, or your children. It changes how you view your singleness. It, it, it changes how you view your neighborhood, your city, your country, and the world. And as a church, friends, here at Mercy View, we need all of that. We need help seeing ourselves and understanding ourselves more clearly because the Bible says that we are blind to our own blindness. And Romans is going to serve us well if we will allow it to see ourselves and our city and our unreached parts of the world through this lens. My, My prayer is that Romans would birth within us or at least stoke a fire that's already there in you to see the gospel come to the urban core of this city, for it to come to the neighborhoods in this city where you live, for it to come in our families, for it to come in Northeast Oklahoma, for it to come in our country, for it to come to a place like Manchester, England, where the Campbells are, and for it to begin by coming into our lives first. So the letter written to Rome, friends, is really a letter written to us. We need Paul's vision for Romans as much as the church in Rome did. We need to hear his words to the Roman Christians, as words to us, when he says, to all those at mercy of you who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We need this book because we need to be reminded and motivated about the power of the gift of righteousness that comes to us through the gospel by faith. Theologian Leon Morris says it this way, God is the most important word in this epistle. At the beginning of the sermon, I said to you, a word that you're going to see a lot is the word righteousness, and that is true. But the most important word that you're going to find in this letter is God. Romans, Leon Morris says, is a book about God. Everything Paul touches in this letter, he relates to God. In our concern to understand what the Apostle is saying about righteousness, we ought not to overlook his tremendous concentration on God. See, verse 1 of Romans 1 may seem like it's about the author of the letter. But behind every phrase that Paul uses... He is pointing us to someone far greater. God bought Paul by the death of his son. God called him to be an apostle. God set him apart from before he was born. And he did it all, as Paul says in Romans 1.1, for the gospel of God. In other words, even in the first verse, we hear Romans 11.36. We're going to hear this somewhere down the road. You're going to remember this. For, uh, excuse me, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. That is why this letter can have the attended effect Paul wants to have it. It is from God, it is through God, and it is to God. God chose the author before he was born of Romans. God purchased his freedom by the death of his son. God called him to be an apostle and then God gave him a gospel, the gospel of God himself. And since we are dedicated to this same gospel here at Mercy View, we believe that it is time to meet this God in the book of Romans. Just like Paul met him on the Damascus road with strength, with with power and with transformation and change. We believe that God has chosen us, called us, and set us apart for this very thing in this moment in the life of Mercy you. Our prayer is that you would put on your spiritual hiking boots and put on your spiritual backpack, open Romans up like I did after meeting my friend at the Steak and Shake in St. Louis, Missouri, And join us on this journey as we discover what God's reign of grace is. Let's pray together.